often burnt out the car in the process. The ones that didn't crash often torched the vehicle in any case. But this clearly wasn't like that. The vehicle itself was about a hundred yards behind her, and since she was facing towards Cambridge, she should have been able to recognise the amber smudges of the city's lights tinting the sky. Instead, she faced the oncoming traffic, diverting it back up the Barbraham Road, the headlights dazzling her as they approached. Then, as each vehicle turned, she saw the occupants' faces staring beyond her, oval with curiosity. And, momentarily, she would see the burning car reflected in their window glass, looking only about the size of an incinerating match. The next car swung round, and she caught sight of someone else in the window's reflection. She didn't turn to look, but waited until he was almost at her elbow and had addressed her first. So, what do you know, Sue? She glanced at him, finally. As far as she knew, D.C. Goodhue had no reason to be there, but equally, she wasn't surprised to see him. About the same as you, I suspect. Less, actually, since you've been up there. You wouldn't know what's happening, would you? It's a car on the central reservation, but it doesn't look like it crashed first. Gary, that's not exactly illuminating. It's a Lotus Evora? Goodhue half nodded, half shrugged, as though that name vaguely rang a bell. Someone's pride and joy. Not an easy steal, so the assessors will be looking closely at it if he tries to claim. He? Yeah. They have the name of the owner, but no trace of him yet. She'd heard it over the radio, so was a little surprised Goodhue hadn't as well. He's not inside the car, then? Gully shook her head. Obviously not 100% sure at this stage, but they don't think so. Two fire engines were already on the scene, therefore soon it would be just a smoking and blackened shell, but the intensity of such an inferno could soon turn a human being to ash. Forensics would be testing the debris, just to be certain. What's his name? You're not even on duty, are you? She gave him a wry smile. Paul Marshall, 38, married with two kids and a big detached house out in Linton. Heading home, then? Unlike you, clearly. Rubbernecking an RTA isn't your thing, Gary, so why are you here? Curious about something else, he muttered, and although he'd answered her question, the tone of his voice told her that something had just distracted him. He stood in the inside lane of the road, gazing at the burning car. Curious about what? There was a long pause before he answered. Nothing. Just a different case. Nothing, really. His response was monotone, not actually ignoring her, but intended to push the conversation aside. He was asking for space to think. She took the hint, but, following his gaze, tried to read his mind. The Gogmagog Downs were a series of low chalk hills that would have been unremarkable in another landscape, but here, lying alongside the resolute flatness of Cambridgeshire, they became surprisingly dramatic. Daniel Defoe had referred to them as mountains. Legend suggested they might be sleeping giants, and long-dead university students had been warned to stay away. 
Goodhue stared at the dying blaze, then moved about thirty yards closer, towards the grassy strip that ran under the central crash barrier. Further along, this strip widened, and the out-of-town carriageway took a higher route up the hill, with a band of trees and shrubs between it and the two lanes that guided traffic back into the city. He climbed the barrier, looking up at the wreck from this new angle, then clambered back down and stared in the other direction across the adjoining farmland. After a few seconds, he moved further towards the fire site again. Yes, Gully was already trying to read his mind, but of course she failed. Nothing new then. And she had no idea why he'd now turned on his mobile phone's torch before easing himself through the hedge and into the field beyond. The sky was never totally dark at this time.